Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey, it's Rich. You might notice we have a new name and a new look. Starting today, you're listening to This Is Success. But our commitment to the most interesting, important guests remains the same. We hope you like it. Please leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps new people find the show. And let us know what you think. You can contact us at audio at businessinsider.com. And now, the show. For Marie Forleo, this is success. I like who I am as a person. I love our team. I love everything we do. I love how we do business. Like, there's nothing that I would be ashamed of people knowing. From Business Insider, I'm Rich Filoni. This week, Marie Forleo, the life and business coach with hundreds of thousands of followers online. When she first started giving strangers advice almost 20 years ago, Forleo barely had her own life together. She was working two jobs to scrape by, and when she wasn't bartending or teaching dance, she collected emails for her newsletter. As Forleo's business grew and she learned what it took to be an entrepreneur, she shared those lessons with her audience. Now, many of her fans paid thousands of dollars for her advice. Today, she's managed to incorporate all of her passions, including dance, into her YouTube channel, podcasts, performances, and online lessons. And she's found followers who want to be there every step of the way. I was always the kid where adults would ask me, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I had 17 answers, and they would always change. But um, some of the commonalities were I wanted to be a dancer. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a fashion designer. I wanted to be an animator for Disney. I mean, you just run the gamut. There was always a multitude of things that I was interested in. And it was confusing as a kid because I'm like, doesn't everybody want to do 17 different things? And even when I graduated college and I thought, you know, working on Wall Street on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange was like, oh, this is going to be it. You know, I have a lot of energy. This is incredible opportunity. I've always dreamed about this. But when I was there, it felt very narrow and very limited. And um, I was like, oh, gosh, this isn't it. And I started to really doubt myself and question, like, God, how am I supposed to find my place in this world? Even working at the magazines, which, again, there is a lot of variety in those jobs. I was on both the ad side of a magazine and the editorial side of a magazine. And the people that I worked with were fantastic. But As the days would go on, I would look ahead and see my bosses and know intuitively I didn't want to become them. The publisher of the magazine, she was amazing. She was a great leader. She was kind. She was strong. But I knew that I didn't want her life. And even on the other side, at the editorial side of the magazine, the editor-in-chief, fantastic, creative, kind, smart, brilliant. But when I looked at her life, something wasn't aligned for me. So I just remember going through this panic of like, oh my goodness, am I just terminally unemployable? Because I want to quit every job I have. And it wasn't until I discovered at that time this new profession called coaching that something just lit up. 
And to step back, did you even go to the New York Stock Exchange because you thought this is a successful career path? Yeah. So, you know, when I was about eight or nine years old, my parents got divorced and it was a really painful experience at, you know, for a young kid like many of us go through. And the thing that I had remembered from that time in my life was that basically all of the fights in my household were around money. That was it. Money, 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 money. And I remember when my parents finally signed those divorce papers, I was at home with my mom and she was in the kitchen and she was crying hysterically. I'd never seen my mom quite like this before. She had lost like 20 pounds and uh, tears were streaming down her face. And she was on the phone with her mom, who is in Florida. And she was saying through these tears, like, I have nothing. I have nothing. I don't know how I'm going to take care of the kids. My whole life isn't what, it, what I thought it would be. I don't know what I'm going to do. She hung up the phone. And she bent down to where I was, which was short, and she grabbed my shoulder so that her face was near mine, and she shook me, and she said, don't ever, ever let a man control your money. When you grow up, I need you to be smart, I need you to be independent, and I need you to take care of yourself. And so she's saying this through all of these tears and a lot of emotion, and as an eight-year-old, that made an impression on me, and I made this promise to myself that no matter what happened when I grew up, that I was going to make sure that I could earn enough money to take care of not only my family, but other people. Because I had made this connection that not having enough money equals loss of love and pain and fighting and all of this stress. So this little equation that I made up as a young girl carried over to me eventually being on the stock exchange thinking, well, This is not only a place for me to use my gifts, but potentially create wealth. And so that was one of the inspirations, actually, for going on Wall Street. But, you know, being there for about six months and doing as best as I could, I realized that while a lot of the people around me financially were wealthy beyond anything I had ever imagined, spiritually, they felt bankrupt. And that wasn't okay for me. And so I had to just keep searching to find what I was meant to do. If the security of money and making your own money was important. How did you make the decision to just go out on your own? Basically, what happened was I was at Mademoiselle and I had signed up for the magazine, the magazine. Yeah, now defunct, but it was awesome back in the day. So I was working there uh, in the fashion editorial department and I had already just discovered the life coaching world and I had signed up for this coach training program. And in the day I was doing my magazine job. One day I got a call from the HR department at Vogue magazine, and they offered me a promotion. So it was an opportunity not only for um, a better job, uh, more money, and the top fashion magazine of the world. So I had this fork in the road moment. I was like, either I'm going to do this and take this promotion, have the steady paycheck, have the health benefits. You know, people understand what you do when you say you work in a magazine. Or I'm going to quit and do this weird coaching thing, which I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. I have never started a business. I have no money. I'm in debt. But God, this feels right in my bones. (laughs) So I turned down that promotion. I quit my full-time job, and I went back to what I was doing in college, which was bartending and waiting tables. But I was willing to take that risk because of all of the pain, the pattern of the persistent failing (laughs) that was happening before. 
and the fact that I was willing to live on the cheap. Like, I didn't care if I was eating mac and cheese all the time. I wasn't trying to keep up with the Joneses. I mean, I had that little voice in my head because many of my friends were going off to law school, getting MBAs, having stable jobs. Some of them were getting married and even starting families. And here I was back at bartending, back doing something that I did, you know, uh, as a teenager. And what were you studying? How, how do you define being a life coach? Well, it was a place called Coach University. And they had a whole training program, and it was learning about how to support people. I actually started my undergraduate career as a psych major. But when I stepped foot in my first class as an undergrad as a psych major, and I sat down in that auditorium, and the professor started talking about how everything in your life is basically the result of your crappy childhood, I literally got up and left. It just didn't feel right to me. It just felt you so You actually dreamy. left the, the I class. actually left. I went straight to the bursar's <laughs> office. And the other thing that I was interested in was business. So I changed my major in that moment. And so when I graduated and went through all this stuff and then found this world of life coaching, the positioning was very different. It was not about healing people in a psychological framework, it was going, hey, you can actually work with people and help them create a strategy to have a life that really works for them. It felt less about blaming your history on your parents or the past and very proactive, very positive, very kind of inspiring and collaborative. And those words perfectly describe me. And why did you think that you'd be able to help people find their own path if you had all of these questions about yourself? I was excited about the topic area. I was insatiable about the world of personal development. So once you kind of open that Pandora's box, at least for me, I felt like there was this whole world of personal development that I was just discovering that I felt like everyone else should know about. And as a woman from New Jersey who just likes to talk, anytime I find out about something that's great or wonderful or that I think is valuable, I tell everyone about it. If it's the best pizza, if it's the best ice cream, if it's whatever. So there was something in me that was discovering this whole world of knowledge that I felt needed to be shared beyond this tiny little realm of folks that were either interested in spirituality or personal development. And for whatever reason, something inside me said, you can do this. So I just followed it. So when you started out as an online business coach, uh, you were one of the only people doing it. So this was like 1999, 2000, 2001. Yeah. And just to clarify, yeah. I didn't even know what online business was. I started off as a life coach, which I hated that term, but it was the closest thing that matched what I wanted to do. But I was ripe old age of 23. So I had that part of my brain that was like, this is dumb. This is insane. Who the heck's going to hire a 23 year old life coach? Like, you don't even, you haven't lived life yet. This is ridiculous. But I couldn't deny that part of my heart and my soul and that deeper knowing that just was like, you need to do this. Like, it doesn't matter how ridiculous it is. You need to follow this and at least try this because working on Wall Street, working in magazines, doing all the things that I did previous to it that were traditional, uh, steady paycheck, healthcare, prestige, none of that worked. I quit all of those jobs because I was miserable. So what was it that was fulfilling about what you're doing now that the other jobs that you had in the past didn't, didn't I think get it. 
one of the things that's very different that I realized is like I am allergic to going to an office every day. Like I literally cannot do that. It's not how I'm built. I'm also not very good at having people tell me what to do, like having a boss. So those are two things that are very different. But really, I think the third thing is what I do each day. So for example, you know, when I would go into, let's say the New York Stock Exchange, right? It was very repetitive, like the same things we would do over and over and over. You'd take lunch, you'd come back, you'd do it again. And yeah, there were little different interactions, but it was very repetitive. When I went into the ad sales, it was like, yeah, typing up stuff on a computer and selling things. But I don't feel like I really believed in, not that there was a lack of integrity, but it was, you know, selling advertising space for, say, travel companies. And yeah, I love to travel, but it wasn't connected to like my heart and soul or changing people's lives. Same thing in Mademoiselle, where it's like, yes, I appreciate fashion. That's cool. And, you know, it's lovely, but it doesn't tug my heartstrings. Whereas people and the quality of their lives and seeing them go from a place of maybe frustration or pain or even just confusion and then having them cross this chasm to where they are living in their full potential. They are doing the things they want to do. They are on this path where they feel great about themselves. And there's tangible results. They're making more money. They're happier at home. They're taking better care of their kids. They're taking better care of their health. When I see that I can play just a small part in having someone go from that point A to point B. I want to spend my whole life doing that. And that's what I get to do every single day. So that's how it was very different than what I did before. And was there always the online component there? Well, yes, because okay. um, I used the internet to effectively mask my age because I was so insecure because I was so young. <laughs> and I got headshots done and I actually showed my friend the other day that made me look probably like, I don't know, 15 or so years <laughs> older than I was. And that was like what I put up oh, on my bartered website. Like one of my dad's friends helped me build my first website because that's what you did in the year 2000. There wasn't anything else. So coming in early into this, you really got to build a brand kind of like ahead of a trend. And now you look and I mean, there are so many people online. You could even find them on Instagram who are trying to like offer things. And many of them don't really actually have much to offer, yes. but that there's a lot of hype around it. How do you stand out from all of the noise that's going on now? For me, I never even really give any attention to that. I've always been one of those people who just puts my head down and does work. And I think especially in this time when we're so inundated with so much information and we're so starving for wisdom, I feel like I'm uniquely positioned to be able to say, hey, guys, focus over here. Or this is something that I've tried that's really worked for me. You might want to try it, too. So I just consider myself a really good communicator. And I strive to, whether it's my own ideas or my own spin on old ideas, or other people that have incredible wisdom, but their expertise is not necessarily sharing it on a large scale. I'm trying to do my best to get those ideas and concepts and people out there so that people can have better lives. Do you think there's value in being a kind of jack of all trades? When I started reading success books and how to be a success in business or how to be a success in life, a lot of the messaging was around niching down and choosing a very specific thing that you're going to be great at and getting known for it. I was like, but wait, there's all these things I want to do. And I found no examples in these books for someone like me. So I do think that there's those people like uh, my partner in life, Josh. He knew since he was a little boy that he wanted to be an actor. Like that was the thing that he wanted to do. And while he has other interests, he was very, very 
very clear. And I've met other people like that as well, who from the time of even when they're six or seven, they're like, I want to be a writer or I want to be an astronaut or I want to be whatever. And they wind up pursuing either that or something close to it. I think that there are other of us who have a multitude of passions and talents and that we're just coming into an age where that is not only acceptable but needed. I call myself a multi-passionate entrepreneur. If you're built somewhat similarly to me where there are many things that you want to do and explore, you should do them because there will likely come a convergent point at multiple areas in your future where everything you've done before comes into play. And then all of a sudden, like in my case, it creates such a unique strength set and talent set that is unmatchable by anyone else. So for example, you know, as I was growing my coaching practice, it was super tiny. And part of what I was doing was doing that personal development work on myself. And I felt really uncomfortable just calling myself a coach because I had an interest in spirituality, in digital marketing, in business, in health and fitness, in hip hop dance. How do you fit those things together? (laughs) People would ask me at like cocktail parties, like, so what do you do? And I would basically want to run into a corner and cry because I was so embarrassed. I never had a good answer. I never had that one party line I could trot out that actually made sense. And so I just started actually going, well, do you want to know what I'm doing tonight? Like I'm going behind the bar and making drinks. And then tomorrow I'm going to be doing this thing called life coaching. And then on Friday, I'm going to be doing something completely different. But here's my point. I realized that I had this passion for dance and for fitness and that I wanted to give it a go. I wanted to have that be a part of my career, not just something that I did as a hobby. As you were doing everything else. Yes. as And I would work seven days a week because I could at that point. I didn't have family obligations. I was just on my own and I loved it. And quite frankly, I needed to do it to keep a roof over my head. Like that's part of what I did. And When I made fitness videos, for example, I was a background person. Then I choreographed and starred, and there's like four of them. Like if you walk into some Target or or Walmart, you will see this cheesy face with like a smile and my hands on my hips and dance off the inches. Like they're there and they're out there. And people will often on social media be like, is this you? I'm like, it's totally me. They're like, you helped me lose 30 pounds. I'm like, awesome. Anyway, (laughs) understanding how to be in front of people and teach what folks could consider like a complex dance routine, break it down, make it simple, and get people actually doing it, those skills serve me now. The fact that I have my own show, my ability to be comfortable on camera is absolutely related to different parts of my career earlier, but I didn't know that I was going to have a show. Like So many of the things that I did earlier come into play now, but I could have never predicted it. And if I never gave myself permission to pursue all of my passions and kind of take the path that's you know a little bit off to the side, I don't think I'd have the business or the life or the satisfaction that I have today. And at what point did you make yourself the brand where you weren't just some life coach, you were yeah. Marie Forleo? Yeah. I think that was just kind of a natural evolution. Evolution. You know, at first when I started my business, I had all these different names. Like one of them was like The Good Life Inc. because I thought to be an official business, I should have an official name. Um, and I tried that a bunch of times and I kept failing because I'm like, I would outgrow the name. I was like, oh, I'm over that. And then I finally realized the one thing in my life that's never going to change is my name. <laughs> so I left all of that behind and I just was like, you know what? When I teach dance, when I am teaching hip hop, when I'm doing a fitness class, when I am working with someone as a coach, if I'm speaking, whatever I'm doing, I'm Marie Forleo. And then in 2008, you had a book? Yes. That book was an ebook in 2002. 
Oh, okay. It was a PDF. So was, yeah, so way back, yeah. Way back when. And I was so in learning mode. I'm always in learning mode. But I had taken this class online about how to use ebooks as a marketing tool for your coaching practice. And the instructor said, well, pick a topic that is um, always coming up on any of your coaching calls. And so the majority of my clients were women. We would talk about relationships. I was engaged to be married at that time. So that was kind of like a hot topic. And then the teacher said, you have to come up with a great title. Because if you don't have a great title, no one's going to buy the book. It doesn't matter how great your information is. A title is everything. And I really took that to heart. And I said, wow, I have to come up with a great title. And one day, I remember it so clear, like in my mental theater, the title, Make Every Man Want You, How to Be So Irresistible You'll Barely Keep From Dating Yourself, it literally like popped into my mind. I was like, that is a damn (laughs) sassy, great title. Like I would pick that up. And it was a little tongue in cheek, which is very me. And so I wrote that as an ebook. After kind of writing that book, doing my best, it was full of like pink highlighter, so many exclamation points because that's who I am, but I had no clue how to write. And uh, I'd put this thing out there, I'd started selling it. And in my personal life, I realized I didn't want to be married to the guy I was engaged to. And I was like, okay. Clearly, I should not be selling a book about dating and relationships when this part of my life is like totally a shit show. So I actually took that ebook off the market. Um, but after a few years, when I had some new wisdom and got some coaching and like kind of straightened out a few things within myself, I rewrote the book, self-published it myself, sold about 8,000 copies fairly quickly because I was starting to understand online marketing and then eventually sold it to McGraw-Hill and they republished it. Now yeah. it's in like 16 languages. With that title, like even though it's cheeky, it kind of seems off brand from the stuff you do now. Yeah. Make every man want you. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was you have to get this was like the early 2000s. Right. I wouldn't say it's off brand. I'd say it's an earlier version of me. The book is actually it's quite a spiritual book and it's about personal development and living in the present moment. But I knew at that point if I had called the book like how to be present no one would buy it. So I was playing a little bit with the idea of a Trojan horse concept. Sell them what they want, give them what they need. So if someone's in a point of pain, particularly a woman, around that area of her life, and she happens to have a little bit of a, you know, cheeky sense of humor, she might pick up that book and get so much more. And I actually still hear that to this day. And how did you end up getting thousands of Followers, like how? How did you go from oh nothing to completely nothing to having a following? How how does that happen? I used to carry a yellow legal pad with me to the bar, so I would go on my bartending shifts, and inevitably, most people when they sit at a bar in a restaurant would be like, "So, what else do you do?" And they would always assume that I was an actress, and I was like, "Nope." I have a coaching business. And they're like, what does that mean? And so I tell them what it meant. And I said, well, I also have this weekly newsletter. And I write it every week. And it's just tips to help you have a better life. Do you want to join? And of course, at that time, no one had really heard of email newsletters. So I would collect those names and email addresses. I would put them on. I remember doing Toastmasters. I would go to networking events. When I started um, kind of getting more active in the health and fitness world, every time I would teach a hip hop class, every time I would teach a fitness class, I would have this yellow legal pad. And I would tell people at the end of every class about what I did. So I was doing everything I possibly could. It was like hand-to-hand combat to build those names. I didn't have money for advertising. I wouldn't have even known how to do it. I was like a one-woman show. Was there ever a point as you were building this where you questioned what you were doing in the first place going out on your own? Gosh, I 
have a lot of moments of self-doubt just as a human. But once I got entrenched in this world and I spent my days like learning and understanding human behavior and psychology, I've never doubted that because it always feels so right. It feels like I am born to do this. That doesn't mean that there's not hard moments, but I've never, once I left, I never really questioned was that the right move? I questioned whether I would eventually make it, like if I was going to be successful enough to keep a roof over my head, but doing it always felt so right that that's what propelled me forward. How important is it for you to have full control of your business? It's been really important. You know, my first experience with the traditional publishing world, I told them like I had this different subtitle and I had already had created artwork for the cover. And basically when they bought the book, they changed everything. And they said, no, you don't know who your market is. We know better than you do. And I was like, no, wait, I've been doing this. I've been talking to these people. I've been selling this. Like, no, I actually have understanding to who I'm connecting with. I, I mean, I'm so grateful that they took the book. I'm grateful for where it is now. But as a creative, it was really not a fun experience for me to like watch my little baby and get parts stripped out of it. And I didn't agree at all from a creative standpoint. So uh, that actually inspired me to go like, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. And I love having complete creative control. Have you ever turned down potential deals because of this? Oh, my gosh, all the time. I mean, I... Throughout the course of my career, people have approached me with ideas and possibilities in terms of my own television show or pitching different television shows and things like that. And honestly, it's never felt right up until now. That's not saying that if something didn't come along that did feel right, but everything kind of always felt off in the past. And it was always as though they wanted me to be a version of me that didn't feel quite true or quite real. And let's be honest, like I say four letter words a lot. There are kooky things that I want to do with our show Marie TV. We have comedy sketches. I have people in wigs and people in outfits and doing crazy stuff on green screen. And it's just a weird, quirky sense of humor that I get that my people get. But I don't know. You know what I mean? If somebody from a network's like, no, you should be a show and show. You have a framed photo of you with Oprah Winfrey yes. in your office. Yes. So when did you meet her and what was that like? Oh, gosh. So um, first of all, I've been an Oprah fan since as long as I can remember. I watched her as a, as a child. And um, I think it was in 2012, uh, her team had reached out to us, uh, someone on my team, and they were they were looking to, to do this panel about thought leaders for the next generation for Oprah's Super Soul Sunday show that she had on her own network own. And I just remember getting that call and be like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, it was just so unreal. And I remember flying to Chicago, and it was the wildest thing. Like, they put me up in the same hotel where I believe that they'd put up all of their guests for, you know, the time that they were in that city. And I could almost hear the VO of Oprah as I was in the elevator, like all of our guests stay at the JW Marriott, you know, like the thing that kind of happens almost at the end of every show. And as I was in the elevator, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is me. This is crazy. That experience was incredible. I admire I love her still. The more I learn about her and the times that I've met her and had a chance to interact with her, she just is gets better and better. Um, her team's amazing. And I just feel like, yeah, I love her and I adore her. And how do you personally define success? For me, I um, 
I love echoing Maya Angelou's sentiment on this. It's liking who you are, liking what you do, and liking how you do it. And I feel like, for me, I can check all of those boxes. Like, I really do like myself. And I there's always things that I need to work on, and there's always weaknesses, and there's always areas that I'm like, okay, great, I'm excited to get stronger there. But I like who I am as a person. I love how we do business. Like, there's nothing that I would be ashamed of people knowing. I love our team. I love everything we do. So there's so much joy and fun in that. So for me, setting goals is exciting and growth goals are exciting just so we have a place to go. But we were talking about this on the team the other day. It's like, we just don't like vanity metrics. Like, I don't give a shit. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, if someone has a gajillion Instagram followers, like, oh, they're doing better than you. I'm like, I don't know how you're measuring that. But like, are you, are you happy? Are you healthy? Do you put your head on the pillow at night and feel like I really did great work today? And I'm exhausted in all the right ways because I just squeezed every drip of my gifts out in a way that was fun, that touched other people, and that I feel like, damn it, I really did it today. And I feel like that most of the time. What advice would you give to someone who wants to have a career like yours? I would say to really focus on the quality of your work. If helping people and supporting them is what you want to do, start working with people as quickly as you can and start helping them create results. And that's where the majority of the growth really comes from. I have all my videos up online. You know, I was creating content for a decade before Marie TV started. And when Marie TV started in like 2010 or so, you can see those videos. You can even see the pre-Marie TV videos where I was talking into my MacBook Air with no lighting, I edited it on iMovie myself. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, right? So it's like all that's there. You don't need to have glitz. You don't need to have glam. Focus on the quality of your work, on making a difference to people, and continuing to improve your skill set. If you focus there, you're going to have an incredible career. If you focus on the vanity stuff, you're going to be done in a minute. Well, thank you so much, Marie. Thank you. Thanks for listening to This Is Success from Business Insider. Our show is produced by Anna Mazarakis and Sarah Wyman. Dan Bobkoff is our executive producer, and I'm Rich Filoni. Don't forget to subscribe and help new listeners find the show by leaving a rating and review. We'll be back next week with Million Dollar Listings' Ryan Serhant. Tune in to hear about his first modeling gig. I was like, oh, wow, awesome, like a modeling gig. That would be great. They're like, well, sort of. It's for your hands. I was like, for my hands? What are you talking about? I was like, like George Costanza? 